Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. Today is Tuesday, September 19th. I'm your host, Stephen Overly. There's a lot of transatlantic tech regulation to keep track of at the moment, and I'm here to help you out. The U.S. and the U.K. are expected to formally announce an agreement in the coming days that would make it easier for companies to move personal data from one country to the other. Right now, they have to jump through some extra legal hoops when transferring information like employee payroll and social media posts across borders. Now, the details of this new arrangement were first discussed in June, and the UK is going to have to enact extra legislation before it can actually take effect. But companies will be very relieved when these rules finally go into effect. Meanwhile, Spain is using its time at the head of the EU Council to push the adoption of AI regulations. Spain's top AI official said yesterday that Madrid wants to see those new rules put in place by the end of this year, even though some details still have yet to be worked out, like which AI models are actually considered high risk. The European Union has been ahead of most of the world when it comes to regulating the tech industry. Passing rules to protect data privacy and regulate social media algorithms, things that the U.S. just has not embraced yet in the same way. But writing the rules for tech is not the same as enforcing them. And that's the challenge the EU faces in the coming months, as it starts to enforce two key regulations, the Digital Services Act and the Digital Markets Act. Clotilde Gujar covers the tech industry for Politico from Brussels. On today's episode of Politico Tech, she explains how these much-anticipated laws are already changing how companies like Google and Meta and TikTok operate in the EU. And why the EU's reputation as the global overseer of the tech industry is now on the line. You know, let's start out talking about the Digital Services Act, something I know you've covered a lot um, and which officially went into force. What do we know so far about how companies are changing to comply with these new rules that the EU has put in place? These 19 companies that are deemed uh, very large online platforms and search engines had indeed to comply by the end of the month. And the rules they were facing or they are facing fall in two different buckets. You have the rules that were very explicit for advertisings or ways to fight illegal content. And these rules have very immediate impact. Like, for example, a ban on targeting teenagers and kids with uh, personalized ads. And these rules, these companies like Google, TikTok, or Meta, they have been very clear or they have communicated that they are complying with them. And as a user, the commission that will enforce these rules, it's it's fairly easy to see if they have indeed complied with these rules. So these are pretty straightforward. And then the second bucket is a bucket that's a bit harder because these are fuzzier rules to deal with harmful content like disinformation or negative impact to public health. So the way that the law is designed is that the companies had to hand in a big report about whether they have these sort of risks on their platforms and what they are doing to mitigate these risks. They have given these reports to the commission at the end of August, and now the commission will look at what they say they they have done and if this is good enough. And these rules, for example, it's hard for anyone at the moment to know 
if they're doing enough because it's really you know what is enough in terms of mitigating disinformation what does it mean it just sounds so subjective exactly right depending on who who's in charge and who's regulating they maybe have different ideas of what those standards are is there an example or or two that you've seen of of something a change google has made or tiktok has made to kind of how they're operating there in europe because they are considered one of these very large online platforms Yeah, for sure. For example, right now in Europe, if you go on Instagram or on Facebook, you can ask you to just see a feed that's chronological and with posts from users you follow, which you didn't necessarily had before. Or for example, if I'm on Instagram and I want to search for other content, I can ask to get a search that's not personalized based on previous searches that I've made, for example. So that way it's just very just broad, just the sort of content I get. Like TikTok, for example, it's quite uh, big for them because right now you can also choose to not get its algorithm and just uh, see videos based on your location, meaning that it wouldn't, you know, it's not reacting to what you like or what you're seeing. It's just saying, look, this person, Clotilde, lives in Brussels and this is what Belgian users are posting at the moment. This is what she will see. So it's interesting because obviously for platforms, especially TikTok, but others like Instagram, I mean, that algorithm is how they drive traffic and keep your attention, right? It's, it's sort of constantly Absolutely. trying to serve you things that they think will you want to see, but that will also keep you on the platform longer. Um, and so EU users now have more uh, more choice in whether they're a part of that. Yeah, it will be. It's unclear if people will, will choose to use these new, you know, to decide not to use TikTok algorithm, right? Because that's why a lot of people use these platforms in the first place. Right. So it remains unclear if people will like that. Right. If, especially if the algorithm's good. I, I have to say, sometimes it serves me content where I'm like, how did you, what, in what universe did you think I want to see this? Uh, so I, I have some questions on the accuracy of the algorithm, but maybe that's my own personal griping. <laughs> Has the EU given any indication, I know we're very early on, but any indication of how well companies are complying with these new rules, especially the the more objective, where they can kind of more directly assess whether they're actually achieving what the EU set out? No, they haven't per se singled out. Some companies are already stated um, who they're going to go after, the ones that could not be complying. It's just the very start. Before the DSA came into force, the European commissioner, Thierry Breton, who's the commissioner who's um, overseeing the unit that will enforce the DSA, had uh, warned some specific platforms like Instagram or TikTok that they had to get ready and specifically they had to do better to prepare to respect rules to protect kids online or to make sure that they don't have child sexual abuse material on their platform. So some platforms for sure are insights. You also have X that's formerly known as Twitter that has attracted a lot of attention. So even though the commission hasn't properly said it's not complying, it has previously mentioned that this is one of the companies that they will particularly watch out for and monitor. I know um, Commissioner Breton was in San Francisco earlier this summer, actually meeting with Elon Musk and X and meeting with, you know, some of these other California companies 
uh, with exactly this message, sort of uh, testing out their systems, how well they're enforcing and or how, how well they're complying with EU rules and, and sort of sending a signal that they really need to be uh, need to be on board and following along. We also had um, Harard de Graaf, uh, the tech envoy from the EU on the on the podcast a few weeks ago, kind of talking about those points. Um, you know, the other law that is in the works and, and coming online, I, I believe in the next few months is the Digital Markets Act, right? Uh, which is a different set of regulations pertaining to, you know, online platforms, particularly in kind of the e-commerce and advertising space for the Digital Markets Act, in some ways seem even higher, because we're talking about fundamental business models for some of these companies. Can you talk a little bit about what is what is really at stake there? Yes, this this law is basically saying, look, we've had these big tech giants that have built up over the years and there have been antitrust investigations. Some have worked, some haven't. But we're in this space now where some smaller tech companies aren't able to compete with these giants that have hovered up all the data are are just by default bundling up their products. And so the idea is to say, okay, what we're doing now is these major companies called digital gatekeepers that we will designate. So there are different criteria. Some of them are, for example, the number of users in the European Union or their turnover. For example, you know, turnover has to be of at least 7.5 billion in the last three financial years. These major companies, basically the course platform services, once they're designated, they have to Although some do's and some don'ts. So for example, some, some don'ts are, you know, um, you have Google search or Google ads that has been designated. And the idea is to say, well, Google search wouldn't be able to gather the personal data of users to track them online, or at least make it more difficult across their services. So these are some of them of the bands. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. With both of these labels, call them very large online platforms, call them gatekeepers. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have a lot of names for these big tech companies now in in the EU. A lot of them are resisting, well, at least some of them are resisting these labels, right? And kind of pushing back on being classified in this way or that, that they have to comply with these regulations. What does that resistance look like at this time? Yeah, so we have two different laws. And so, for example, in the Digital Services Act, the DSA, you already have two platforms that have said, look, we don't think we're, we're big enough. We shouldn't face these extra obligations. These two are a European fashion retailer that's called Zalendo. Basically, Zalendo is saying that a lot of their products are actually products that they are choosing and curating, and they're not acting as an intermediary. They're acting as a retailer. That's their idea. And then you have another one um, that says it's not a very large online platform, and this one is Amazon. Um, and basically, Amazon Am- is... Amazon not being large. Okay. <laughs> How, what's their argument for that? 
Their argument is to say that, um, well, they're also a retailer, and if they are facing these these rules, why aren't other European retailers uh, facing the same rules, even if they're just brick-and-mortar um, retailers? So that's their idea, and they have a sort of different strategy through which they're saying they've gone to the general court uh, in Luxembourg, uh, they've brought their case and they're also saying, well, okay, if you disagree with us, at least, um, could you get off of the hook for several obligations? For example, they don't really want to build a very detailed repository of ads that they're running on their platforms. Um, so these are some of the rules that they're hoping they won't have to comply with. Interesting. It sounds like that's in court, so that will play out. Do we know how long that process might take or when we might know whether Amazon is considered a very large online platform? There's two different parts. There's like sort of a temporary part, a more urgent part, and then a bigger case. The longer case will probably play out in the next coming years. The sort of urgent case basically is being dealt with at the moment. So far, the court has said, for example, that Amazon doesn't have to build this very detailed ad uh, library, public ad library at the moment. It's still sort of a temporary decision that could be uh, changed. But for example, if you if you go on Google right now or on Meta on Instagram, because of the DSA in the European Union, now they have to basically show you very detailed information about an ad that's currently or that has been running on their platform, say who paid for it, how much, how many people have seen it, where Amazon won't have that library because it has said, we don't think we should be doing it. And the court has said, well, for now, you don't have to do it. That could change in the coming weeks. You know, we've gotten a sense of what is at stake here for the companies. I, I'm curious your perspective on what's at stake for the EU, because the Digital Services Act, the Digital Markets Act, I mean, the, we've been talking about these for a couple of years now. They've gotten global attention um, and have positioned the EU in many ways as this sort of global tech regulator. So what does the EU have to prove now that these laws are actually becoming a reality? Well, the EU has to prove that it can actually enforce these laws. Um, Brussels is very well known for loving to regulate a lot of things. But once you've regulated, um, you need to show that you can actually do it, um, use these rules. And that will be particularly complicated because some of these rules will have to be enforced on these major tech companies with armies of lawyers. And, you know, for the Digital Services Act, the commission, for example, will have up to 150 staff to enforce these rules. That is quite Doesn't limited. Seem like a lot. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, so it, it might be very complicated. For example, the DSA is also very unprecedented, um, unprecedented, and 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 so how to build a case? You know, um, they will have to be very careful that they don't have any procedural flaws that the big tech companies will be able to to attack. And, you know, going back to what you were saying about the DMA, it's a law that could have major business uh, consequences. And clearly these companies aren't going to, or at least some of them aren't going to just let it go. You know, you've had Apple, for example, that already says it's very unhappy. They think the DMA poses some major privacy and cybersecurity concerns um, because of some of the interoperability um obligations or this idea that people could just post their their apps on its app stores. 
you know, it's likely that some of, of these um, rules will be challenged in court. Is that, uh, I'm just curious what you're watching for next now on these laws. Are you, you know, as a reporter, are you watching for the first kind of enforcement action that comes of this or, or more company opposition? What, you know, what are you sort of looking to in the, in the near future here? I think the first enforcement action will be fairly interested, interesting, especially in the in the DSA. The the stakes are pretty high also for these companies because fines under the DSA can be up to six percent of their global annual revenue. Um, under the DMA, it's up to ten percent of their total annual global revenue. Um, in the case of the DSA, if you consistently disrespect the rules, you could even face a temporary um, ban in the EU. In the case of the DMA, extreme cases of non-compliance mean the commission could force the companies to break up or ban them from buying up smaller competitors. So it will be interesting to see how far the commission is ready to go um, and how it will build its its cases and the sort of real impact, especially for the Digital Services Act. I think um, you have all these elections coming up in 2024. You have one in the United States, but we have plenty as well in the European Union. You have the major European elections for the European Parliament. We'll see if the rules have any impact on, you know, cyberbullying, on disinformation, on such um, harmful and toxic behaviors online. Excellent. Well, we will definitely be reading your reporting. Uh, Clotilda, thank you for joining us on Politico Tech. Thanks, Stephen. That's all for Politico Tech today. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. I'll see you back here tomorrow.